right, Beyonders, welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. We've got a great show for you tonight that involves magic, that involves mining, that involves the two together. Lots of cave-ins, lots of rubble to clear, lots of gems. We've got lots of fun to talk about with you. We've got uh, Anthony from Petro Gaming Group here with us this evening uh, to talk about his game, Wizard Miners. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Yeah, man. Good to have you. Uh, and of course, we have the illustrious co-host Jason uh, joining joining me tonight. So yes, uh, yes, Jason, uh, we we're all wearing our nice little headgear tonight. Yes, right. <laughs> yes, I got to duck down a little bit too. You know, my virtual background is not making it easy, but you know, yes. So uh, you know, this headgear we'll be wearing throughout the night. I think my head will be a little sweaty by the end because yeah, oh yeah, you know, it I, doesn't breathe I know very that well. Whenever, I know that whenever we're at Gen Con playing, right, with all those people around, I'm just like, oh, man, my head's starting to get a little hot. But uh, uh, they're great. They're great. I've I actually shoveled snow in this at one yeah, point. I, I think I have, too. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, it, it warms the head. Nice and cozy up there. Exactly. Exactly. So for those of you wondering how we all had the same headgear, we got this from playing Wizard Miners at Gen Con, which we will talk about as we uh, – get through uh get a little bit later into the show but of course before we begin let's start with our geek week anthony why don't you kick our geek week off with for us i get to go first that's exciting yeah yeah i had a, had a pretty interesting geek week because uh it, it started off if i can go back to last weekend so it's a little, little 10 day geek week here uh my wife and i went away uh with another couple uh, and we, we we thought we'd introduce them to some simple simple games. They they uh, they are a couple who, if you ask them, um, talking about gaming, they, they're you mean like Monopoly kind of kind of you know where, where they're coming from. Nice. So so you mentioned a few games that we play, and they've of course never heard of them. So I had to go to the shelf and see which ones were were the best intro games I could think of for. Uh, for adult uh, new gamers, so mm. I pulled off uh, off the shelf uh, Desperados of Dice Town, mm -hmm. uh, Mountain Goats, and Cash and Guns. Ooh, Cash and Guns is going. So it was yeah. only four of us playing Cash and Guns, but so so not not too much chaos going on, but it it, it did prompt the first screaming between the husband and wife that we were with, which was which was interesting. Nice. So it's, it's always good, you know you you know you've hit the sweet spot when when the the new gaming couple start yelling at each other. Yep. Who they're pointing <laughs> their gun at. <laughs> so so Cash and Guns was very successful. We 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 toned it down a little little bit when we went to Desperados of Dice town nice dice rolling simple straightforward kind of game um uh, mountain goats was was a hit to finish the night off with because it's uh, you know, there's like two rules to it so it was real simple to teach uh, my friend asked me um Asked me so on a complexity scale you know how, how hard of a game how hard of games were we playing so I, you know, I introduced them to Board Game Geek, and I said, "Let's let's take a look." So Mountain Goats, I think, came up at like 1.07. It was like the lowest, <laughs> nice. lowest complexity rate I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> uh, and he asked me where Wizard Miners would fall on that, and I, I said, I, "You know, I don't know. We're gonna someday we're gonna find out and see what the community thinks out mm. there." But I'm I'm thinking maybe a two four. <laughs> 
I don't know what you you guys have played. I don't know what you would think, but uh, it, needless to say, he 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 realized that he was he, he played some very simple, straightforward games. We had a lot of fun, so that so that was great. Uh, a little a few days later, in my Geek Week, uh, we got to uh, the longest game of Pandemic. Uh, you can imagine because we played Pandemic Season Two, Pandemic Legacy Season Two, throughout the the pandemic. So we started oh, well, off okay. we started off in 2020 playing outside on the deck before before anybody knew what was really going on, and you just wanted to be outside. Um, and then it just took forever to get to 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 get through get through the game. So we are finally in December. We got crushed in the first our first attempt in december but we're feeling confident one more session and we're finally put put the season to rest now you didn't you didn't play this with your uh new gaming couple oh no 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) i don't think they'd be my friends anymore if i if i did (laughs) yeah i was waiting for you to say like you know um so we introduced him to some new games. I pulled off the shelf Twilight Imperium. Yes. And, uh... <laughs> and I need new friends, so I'm advertising right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's cool. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. So um, I'll, I'll jump in for my Geek Week. Uh, something something kind of similar. I I had an off-site, which is kind of funny because we all remote work. So our off-site at work was um, actually on-site. So, like, we all met at our work for our offsite, which is kind of hilarious. Um, so, and one of the things that we wanted to do is, um, you know, like, as team building stuff, play some board games. And uh, so I had brought up a bunch of board games. Some of them I had I picked up at Gen Con, actually. Um, and we ended up not doing it because some of the folks couldn't um, make it there. So we ended up playing um, some – the we ended up playing Jackbox, which is a virtual – um game like party game type stuff which is uh, a lot of fun um jason have you played jackbox before yeah we we do it a lot with our family it's uh everybody grabs a device and then you use like we do it on the playstation so we'll bring up yeah. the main app on the playstation and use our phones and stuff to play yeah it was um it was a lot of fun because we were able to do it through like like broadcast it through zoom so mm-hmm. we had a zoom call and then everybody yeah, yeah, was yeah. able to use their phones you know um, to do it. And some of the games worked better than others. Um, Cause like there were some that were like a facial expression one and it was a little hard when, you know, like you weren't looking directly into the camera, you know, and able to point or raise your hand or whatever. Um, but it was a, it, it like, that was a surprisingly a lot of fun. And I think um, the, the beauty in that game was sort of its simplicity, right? It was like, Hey, tap these buttons on your phone, which a lot of people are really, you know, used to. So it was like a trivia game. You could tap the buttons, you could do other things. And, and uh, so uh, I had a lot of fun playing Jackbox. And I think that might be something that I end up picking up. I know it's technically not like a board game, but um, I think my, I think my family would be more into playing something like that than setting up a a huge board game, you know? It's a good family game for sure. Yeah. Involve all the, all ages with it. Yeah. I, I will say this though. I set up, um, and learned the rules of the cursed and the few. That was the board game that I picked up at that um, that uh, uh, Toys for Tots booth at Gen yeah, Con, yeah, right? Like uh-huh. I got like like four games for seventy dollars. And um, in this cursed and the few game, it was a uh, set it up. Um, we played a couple of rounds of it because I once I had learned it, 
we didn't have too much time to play, but we played a couple rounds of it. And uh, my wife at first was not too happy. She's like, this is another one of your complicated games, you know, because it has like cards and all yeah. sorts of stuff, you know, and she wasn't too keen on it. But once I taught her the mechanics, which were actually very simple, like in, in terms of like, you know, order and phase play and stuff like that. Um, she was like, I need, I need to take my turn. I need to buy this thing. I need to do this job. Like she was like all into it. And she, uh, she really kind of picked it up quick and my oldest daughter picked it up quick. So if it, it, it was good because it was a game at Gen Con that um, I couldn't, um, you didn't really play. You could kind of ask to see what it was. And they're like, okay, well, this is what it is. And this is, I mean, they gave me basically like a 30 second description of what it was. And they're like, and you get to choose between this and that, and this and that if you do it, you know. And, and grab so, and move, grab and yeah, move, yeah, grab and move, basically. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to take a chance on it because I'm I've got these three games I get to choose. Um, you know, there's six games I get to choose three, and then I get a mystery game all for seventy dollars. Like it's a great deal. And I looked up the MSRP for all the games on on uh, Amazon, and I would have if had I bet them bought them at cost, it would have been like hundred and sixty dollars. So I got them for 70 which I think is a great deal. And we've already played Pan, uh, Panorama, which is a fun little um, kind of card scenic game. And then The Curse and the Few, and both of them have been winners in my opinion. So I, I feel like I did pretty good with the, with the games there. So just having fun with post-Gen Con games with the family. So that's good. That was my Geek Week. Yeah. All right, Jason, what about yours? How was your Geek Week? All right, let me share my screen here. Uh, which one? This one. Sure. Okay. So I've been painting, painting terrain for our Warcry tournament, right? Um, yep. This is what one of my final pieces looks like. I'm pretty happy with it. I think it's got a nice uh, rich tones to it. Looks dirty, grimy, which is how I like to do stuff, right? I'm really happy with my bamboo uh, color. It's not the uh, been dead for like, you know, 15 years bamboo. Um, so it still has a little fresh feel to it, which I like kind of that greenish tint. Um, but it's a, I had to paint a lot of terrain. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was, uh, telling my kids I'm done painting terrain again for a while. I do this every time. Like when you try to complete a box, right. For a tournament, you get through it and you're like, I don't, I don't want to paint terrain for a long time. <laughs> but, uh, I, so I'm like, I think I'm done. And I showed this to my wife and she's like, I really like the bamboo. It looks really cool. And the uh, skull thing that the tree's grown over. And I was like, yeah, I like the tree. I'm going to leave it gray because it's kind of like this eerie dead tree. She's like, no, nah, it doesn't look that good. I was like, okay. <laughs> nice. What, what, do I, what do I need to do? She says, you need to give it more, a little bit more earthy, rich tone. So I don't know if you can see, but down here in this root, it's a little browner and richer. So I did that to the entire tree, but I compromised. So it, that, that kind of rich a little bit more brown richie tone down there i brought all the way up with kind of a brown black oil wash but then i faded it out when you get to the end so it's like the end the arms of the tree still have that really gray uh look yeah. to them and i don't have a picture of it but i think it looks really good um and i think she was right because it really the whole body or trunk of the tree now has a really like thick feel to it um and it looks painted uh whereas before she was like it looks like you didn't paint it i was like okay <laughs> <laughs> but now it looks a lot better uh and i like that i faded I i'll get some more pictures for next time but i like that i faded it um on so i still get that kind of like these look like dead like kind of skeleton hands that are trying to grasp you um so i'm happy it'll be fun to put that on the table and watch players uh play on it but that was uh that's been my week so far 
And how much did you love painting all the little lashings on that bamboo, Jason? I taught no. <laughs> Talked about that last time, dude. It's just it took me a whole night to paint all the lashings on that bamboo. And look, it didn't even like I oh, wow. it doesn't look good in the picture. In real life, you can see the tone difference. I might, it's just a faraway picture camera, but every one of those has a tiny, a tiny tint. You can kind of see it in the picture, but um, a tint to brown. When you step back and look at the whole piece, I'm happy I did, yes. but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to do it ever again. It's like I'm ready <laughs> yeah. to move out of out of this style terrain. Yeah, hundred. But it'll be fun, and it'll sit on my shelf forever, right? So now I've got it. That's the great thing about terrain is that like once you have it, you have it, right? And um, it uh, it it's it's just there. Like you're like, oh, let's let's play a quick game. Okay, you pull it out and it looks great, and you just never have to, you know, you don't have to like worry about doing it again. So, yep, yeah, I do like your bamboo. Mine's mine's much more orangey, like old band, like not old old bamboo. But yeah, like um, dead, like it's been cut, like dead cut. Weathered. Yours looks yeah. more a little fresher cut, right? Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is cool. And then sometimes you get like the real whitish bamboo that looks like it's like really like old yep. and faded, right? So um, kind of like a bonish bamboo, which yeah, kind of, I guess, could make sense if it's out in the sun and got really bleached, but we're supposed to be in a forest, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I feel like the problem, I mean, and, and this is like Warhammer terrain, right? And so you have bones everywhere in Warhammer. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, you don't want to make your bamboo look like the bones that look like everywhere else. Right. So, you know, good times. So good times. Yep. Yeah. But we're, I'm looking forward to seeing it on the table this Thursday coming up. So this Thursday, big tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. How long very does that tournament last? How many rounds are we doing this time? Five rounds. Five rounds. Each game is like an hour 20? Hour 15. Hour 15? Yeah. And then, and then like a little break? 15 minutes between like the rounds. Um, and then there'll be like a lunch break and stuff like that. So check-in is from like 8 to 9. Um, so we'll start at 9. And then the last game is over at 5. 5, yeah. Yeah. Or like 4.30. Something like that. So yeah. 4.30 or 5. It's going to be good. I saw some of the, the lists uh, and the people. So there's uh, we've definitely got a few real competitive lists out there, and we got some fun ones too. Yeah, for sure, so for sure. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be good. But a lot of effort goes into it, right? Like in terms of like getting it set up and and making sure that you have all the terrain you need, making sure that you've got all the you know. I got some um, tickets. Right here for uh, we have a raffle that we're gonna do, and um, got some little door prizes like little measurement tools that we'll hand them that people can have. Right, so I mean they're like little three D printed things, but I mean you know all about like door prizes and you know things to give away to you know make it make it uh, worth people's while. And uh, in fact, let's uh, I mean I think that's our geek week, and and we we um, don't have dance, so we're we don't have the news tonight. So let's get to our main topic. Yeah. Um, which is Wizard Miners, and I'm gonna pull up uh, a picture here to give us some visual interest. Boom! boom. Okay, there's our Wizard oh, Miner. Yeah. All right. So, so Anthony, why don't you? So, well, let me let me give a little bit of context. Um, and actually, Jason's probably better better to talk about this because. Jason signed up for your event at Gen Con, I think several years ago, three years ago. 
More than um, that. I, I played it last yeah. year and this year, so Jason's a little bit newer. Um, but uh, maybe you can walk us through, like, what is Wizard Miners? Like, what is this game? You know, what are we? What are we even? Why are we wearing these funny hats on our heads? <laughs> you know. Well, I, you know, that's a, a, a what is Wizard Miners? I guess is is a tough question because there's a there's a million games out there. Boy, you walk through the exhibit hall at, at Gen Con and you're like, is is you could never have enough years to play all the games that are out there. So wow. so we're talking about this one that that uh, Jason stumbled across. It was more than three years ago, right? Because we had a it was before week. COVID, yeah, before COVID. So oh, wow. um, we, you know. I, this this game has been a passion project for me, a hobby. Um, well, I don't know what you want to call it for an albatross. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it for since uh, 2016. And, uh, you know, we start off, I, I guess, how anybody makes their own game. They, you know, cards printed out on a, on a printer. Um, and and you play test and you goof around with your friends and then you then you think you can you can print it up in the game crafter just so you have real components to play with and, and so when we went when when I finally said let's play it at Gen Con I wasn't really I don't know what I was interested in I just wanted people to play it so I didn't do the play test hall I just I just made it a ticketed event and hope people came. And so uh, uh, it was actually my, my sister-in-law. And if you, you see on our website, it says, if you game your family, that's because we, you know, the whole family's had a piece of this uh, that has thrown their ideas in. My sister-in-law said, you should try to find some hats and have everybody wear a, a wizard hat while they're playing. So I, I found I found a distributor that had these these exact hats for for seven years. I've been ordering from Windy City Novelty in Chicago, the only place I can find these hats. Um, and I get a I get a case of hats every year before Gen Con, and everybody gets a free hat to play. And so the first year we had, you know, I, I ran a few events, a bunch of people played, and the coolest thing was was that. The whole weekend, we were seeing uh, a couple dozen people walking around with these hats throughout yep. the convention, and, and that that was really that really got me juiced. And, and I wanted to play more, and I wanted more people to play. And and so the art the art at the time was pathetic. It was me and Microsoft Publisher. Uh, <laughs> Not really an artist platform there. <laughs> oh, you know, I. I, I, I I, I don't. I do not have that kind of creativity. I I see you guys with the painting, and I marvel at the patience and the talent and the <laughs> skill and the steady hand. I could do nothing. I can do uh, circles and triangles, which I made a wizard hat out of on uh, on for the backs of the cards. Uh, I was so impressed when I when I made diamond uh, you know, the the gems, but the gems were just a bunch of triangles in the right space. Uh, and, and that were the those were the cards I made uh, for us to play at Gen Con, and but but the hats were always there, and and people were always loving hats. People came back and got and played again and got another hat, and, and every year it was when when can I buy this? When can I buy this? When can I buy this? And and, and by trade I was a school superintendent, and uh, it just there was just not a lot of time to really pursue how to how to turn this into a, a, something that I could actually sell uh, and, and make available to people. We kept playing it 
and, and kept enjoying doing that. Uh, tweet the rules got tweaked, but the last I gotta say, the last few years we've we've play t- tested it to death. It doesn't. It, it, it's not. It, the rules aren't changing anymore. And um, and so it, it, the wall that I ended up running into was the ridiculous learning curve of manufacturing freight shipping fulfillment ah yes and i'm sure there are a lot of your listeners out there that have done it and they're going to hear me describe it and they're either going to feel my pain or they're going to say come on dude it's not that hard but for i i can't i can't begin to tell you the 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 craziness uh the crazy the crazy learning curve it has been to understand the process of uh, mass producing not let alone crowdfunding i mean that's another mm-hmm. mountain to climb oh i think it, i think uh most of our folks who have been through this will absolutely sympathize with you uh because that's all we hear when people are running a kickstarter or in fact we just had Robert Schwab on our um, podcast just last week, who is um, doing an RPG, right? And you're just talking about books. You're not even talking about components, right? You're talking about books. And and I mean, he's like, this is probably the last Kickstarter I'll ever do because it's just, there's so much involved in it. So yeah, absolutely. You're, uh, <laughs> I think you've got many of the sympathetic gear out there for, for that. Yeah, flight. I mean, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, that, you know, it, that's my perspective of where the game came from. What the inspiration was, uh, I have no idea. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, became, I grew up. It was magic. I, I grew up. Uh, in my, you know, my first game, like a lot of people my age, uh, was Dungeons and Dragons. So you know, late seventies, early eighties, I'm playing D and D, four nights a week, five nights a week. Uh, you know, d- disregarding everything else, but but. D&D. So what has still stuck with me, even though the D&D gaming group hasn't been around for a while, uh, what has stuck with me is that if it has a dungeon, a dragon, a wizard, an, a, a, an orc, an elf in it, uh, I'll buy it and, uh, and read the rules if nothing else. Uh, just the, the, the whole, the whole uh, Tolkien-esque uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, always appealed to me, and uh, I always get drawn to it. So naturally, if I was going to make a game, there was going to be a wizard in it. Uh, and um, from a complexity standpoint, I always enjoy games that have a degree of luck, so that the playing field's always even, so that there's some strategy involved to make it fun. Uh, some decisions to make to so to to make it fun, um, but the but there's some luck involved, uh, so that you know you, you can't you don't know who the winner is going to be when you start. Like some games I play, uh, I played when I uh, when I played Dominion and my nephew is at the table. It's just the race for second place. You know you know those guys. You play yeah. Guys, yep. right? uh, so you know, so it was important to me to have two things in a game: one that there was uh, always some luck involved, even though it, 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 there was enough decisions to keep a, a, a real gamer interested, um, but still some luck involved to level the playing field. And I also like games where everybody's involved every turn. Uh, if you, if you simultaneous can, play, 
yeah, simultaneously. If you can get up and go to the bathroom until it's your turn, uh, it's to me that uh, that's not my favorite. So you got to stick around because you might get a spell thrown at you. You got to stick around because the dice are going to roll, even if it's not your turn, and you're going to dig into your mind. Um, so yeah, fast pace. I mean, look at this wizard. Uh, the idea was uh, we we wanted to be uh, whimsical. We wanted it to be light. Uh, a little bit of strategy, so a lot of decisions, a little bit of take that, but not, I mean, you guys have noticed, it's not a harsh take that. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a fun take that. Um, so, you know, you know it, you, the interesting story was when I, when I asked someone to finally draw me a wizard, um, they asked me for my vision. And I, I don't know if you're going to get this reference, but considering the, the Mickey hat behind behind you, Justin. I'm hoping you will. I said I picture Stinky Pete in a wizard robe. <laughs> you guys know Stinky nice. Pete? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the I, old prospector. The old prospector from Toy Story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, give me make his beard longer and wow, and, that actually now that now I see it. It well, really does look like that, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't look too much like that because I don't want to get sued, okay? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't unsee it now. <laughs> you know, it was Stinky Pete was the inspiration because of just that, uh, you know, that, that fun look. That's cool. So, you know, I, you're talking about simultaneous play. You're talking about, um, you know, being able to cast castings. Um, why don't you just kind of walk us through your game? I don't know if you want me to pull up um, your website because I think that there's some pictures on there of, of some of the cards. Um, sure. And uh, let me see here. And um, and then maybe um, oh, let's see. Here we go. Um, yep. So here's your website, Petro for those that are interested in visiting it, it is Petro Gaming Group, P-E-T-R-O Gaming Group.com. Um, and um, yeah, so here is some of the, you know, some of the cards that um, that you have here. But maybe walk us through, like, how is this game played? And, um, you know, so maybe the folks can understand, like, why simultaneous play is important, like, you know, like how, how it works and, and uh, they can get a better sense of what this game really is about. Absolutely. The, the, the idea is, is that you have a deck of cards that represents the depth of your mind. And the goal of the game is to dig to the, dig to the end of your mind deck, uh, representing that you've gotten to the center of the mountain first. So you're, you're a mining company. You've got hammers, you've got chisels, you've got drills, uh, but you also happen to be, have a wizard for a foreman. So up to four players, and it plays best with four uh, are, are simultaneously digging into this mountain using their tools. But at the same time, the wizards are throwing spells at each other to slow, slow their opponents down and also to speed up their own digging. So the, 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 the basic mechanic is, is that you have tools. For instance, that pick that you see in front of you, the pick has uh, numbers on it, 12 and 15 and 15. On each turn, uh, the the player who is the active player will uh, will roll two eight-sided dice. That's going to generate a number between two and sixteen. Uh, 
if one of your numbers comes out that's on one of your tools, you dig into your mind. So which means you flip over one of your mind cards and get for, and get closer to your goal of getting through your mind deck. So if somebody rolls a 12 and I happen to have the pick, I would flip over a card. If somebody rolled a 15, I would flip over two cards and dig twice into my mind. And on the uh, flip side of the mind deck is uh, our, uh, tells you value of gems that you found. So you collect gems, you take your gems, you buy more tools, you buy better tools, uh, you upgrade your tools, you get more numbers, which means you get to dig faster, you get more gems and so on. So you see how it goes. Very, very uh, settlers of Katanish in that, in that mechanic where you're, you're trying for good numbers, that your good numbers come out, you get, you get stuff. And you can go get more numbers too, so so that you can keep the ball rolling. Um, yeah, I was going to say one of the, um, I think one of the key aspects of this game is, it, like, I look at my deck in the beginning, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this thing. You know what I mean? Because all I have is one little pick, maybe in the very beginning, or you you get one tool. Um, it's or, or well, you don't even get a tool. You basically have a, a number. It's your number. And once you get that, then you can start um, uh, uh, getting gems and then buy the tools and things like that, right? And so yeah, and you, you do start with one tool because oh, you, right. you, right. you start off with gems and you get the you get the an initial buying phase. So we get so we get some numbers on the table. Um, yeah, and and you look at that deck and you're like, "Whoa, this is a pretty fat deck that I need to get through," <laughs> and I don't know how I'm gonna do it. But, um, you know, it just takes a couple of successful number rolls and all of a sudden you got another tool and then all of a sudden you get another tool and then all of a sudden, like you're hitting on all the rolls every time. And that deck is, it's going pretty quick. Right. right. So, um, it's definitely an exponential, um, dig. That yeah. Happens, things right? start to, things start to speed up and that's where the complications come in because, uh, when you flip a card from your mind deck, it doesn't go away. It goes into your rubble pile. And as that rubble pile grows, it has a danger of caving in. And when, when your cards cave in, they go back on top of your mind deck, but they go flip side, they go upside down, which means when you, when you clear them off and you have to clear them off again, so your numbers have to come out again, you don't get the gems for them. You've already taken mm -hmm. the gems out of those cards. So those, when, when you have a cave in, those cards are just in your way. Uh, and the cave-in is the is the best mechanism for slowing down the person who's getting lucky rolls. So another good thing about the game is is that you really are never out of it. And, and oftentimes, getting out to an early lead is bad because everybody knows it. They're they're watching you flip cards. They're seeing you collect gems, which means the attack spells are coming at you. So yeah, three you get the aggro on you. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, so the, and then the person in last place seems, you know, start flying under the radar and all of a sudden they start, they start flipping cards over and they, they start to come out of nowhere. So it, it is a game that can turn quickly and, and, and have a lot of changes to it. The cave-in can really balance things out. Um, the spells are, are a great aspect of it because it keeps everybody playing. Even if you're behind, you can start. You, you can still start throwing spells at other players and and, and and do some fun stuff. Now, when you were creating the uh, kind of the tool bank there, because there's like there's the hammer, the big hammer, the great hammer. Did you have to do some math on probabilistic curves to kind of figure out? 
what numbers should be uh -huh. on which stage of the tool and all that fun stuff? Absolutely. I, 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 I figure someday, uh, you know, uh, they'll, I'll be able to sell that spreadsheet you know, <laughs> uh, uh, because it, you know, it'd be so famous. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, it's funny. I look back and I find that file from, from 2015 in my an Excel spreadsheet of calculating out. So, cause what I didn't want was there to be a path, a, a, a path that everybody wants to take. Well, I got yeah. the pick and the hammer because they got the best numbers for the price. So I really spent a lot of math time <laughs> trying to make it so that the choice of tool was not um, the smarter person was going to always get the better tools or the more experienced person was going to get the make the, make the better picks of the tools pardon the pun the better picks uh, so so you know it, it, if you look at the way the the uh, the cards are uh, the big hammer when you upgrade your hammer to the big hammer, you place that card on top, but you don't cover up the 10, 10, and the 16. You add to it. So as you improve your as you improve your tool, it becomes um, it 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 it, uh, it becomes enhanced rather than just replaced. Yeah, and one of the things that a player asked me when we were playing once is do the colors matter on the numbers of the cards? What are they trying to tell me? And so what, what was your intention there? My, my intention there, and it never really seemed to be something anybody needed. My intention there was if you have, if you have three tools all upgraded to the, to, to the great tool, you're going to have nine tool cards out and you got to look at a lot of numbers. So the intention was I'm going to make, all the low numbers one color the middle numbers are green the high numbers are red the low numbers are blue so an attempt to when you scan your numbers it's easier to pick them out i don't know if it ever really helps anyone but uh that that, that was the intent now they just look nice they're a tradition <laughs> yeah yeah that's interesting i always thought you were doing that to try to highlight the numbers that had more chances for popping up on the curve on the two dice that you roll but uh i don't know that, it's not a bad idea but that's not it that's not it okay <laughs> there's no correlation you can see no the correlation you see the three is is blue and the 16 is red so they're, they're both unlikely yeah to out in their yeah colors. yeah so. cool yeah really really a lot of fun i remember the first time i played i think when i when i sat down I think it was you had said you'd been working on it for a little over a year. This is a while ago, right? So it would have been like 2017 Gen Con maybe yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And I remember seeing the hats and, um, <clears throat> but I remember just reading it because everyone else had a game that they were doing and I had a free spot in my, in my, uh, in my schedule. And I usually leave a lot of free time to go to the convention hall. And I think I was just getting convention hall burned out. So I just kind of scrolled through and I was like, oh, Wizard Miners, that, uh, that sounds cool. And so I signed up for it and I came in and sat down. And when I saw when I was going to sit down, I saw the hat in the seat and I was like, done, sold. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I put the hat on and yeah, I kept the hat on all day. But um, I remember playing and it was like you said, it was like you had printed these cards off of your printer. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was just so much fun that I went back and I couldn't stop talking about it with all all of our buddies and gaming groups. And then the next year. Uh, one of my buddies, Sean Watson, 
who actually bought one of your prototype boxes from you, uh, came with me the next year and we came and we played it. And he was like, that was rad. You know, I love that game. It was awesome. And I know he's kept in touch with you a lot over the years. And I think not this past Gen Con, but the one before mm-hmm. he came and you guys did a game trade or something. Yes, yes we did. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. and that was cool. And I'll tell you for that year in between that last Gen Con and that one, we played wizard miners at his house with his family multiple times. So with That's his kids and everything. So you got a good you got a good game that is extremely family friendly. But like you said, still has decisions so that a hardcore gamer still feels like they're playing a game that's fun, right? That they can make some choices. And the simultaneous play is the other part that's really good about this game. You know, I hate games where you wait 45 minutes and you do nothing, right? Until it's your turn. This game, you're you're hoping for that dice every time. It's almost like you're playing craps together at a table, right? <laughs> you're hoping for that one roll that, that, that the guy's going to give you when he goes on there. So cool, cool game. So uh, let me ask you a question. Um, you said you have no idea where the concept came from. It's just kind of evolved. But what about the rules, right? So like concepts like uh, like cleanup, like you said, when you mine, rubble happens. And if a cave-in happens, that rubble goes back on top. So there's a, there's a mechanic in the game where... In, um, on your turn, instead of maybe buying or instead of digging, you can do like a, du- a cleanup or a double cleanup to get rid of some of that rubble to protect yourself from a cave-in. So like, how did you get to those little mechanics to try to help the game? Yeah, I, you know, the, the when I think back of the original concept, there was, uh, in my mind, there were going, the, the mountain was going to physically exist on the table. It was, it was going to be a board uh made up of almost like a picture dominoes and, and you would flip dominoes on your way to the center of the mountain to see who could get there first mm. so I, I was kind of thinking along those lines and it just wasn't it, it wasn't working it wasn't it, it it couldn't it didn't flow so so the 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 deck of cards became the depth of the mine and 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 from there really the other thing the third thing i'd like to add to that to that list of uh, of of you know uh, some strategy but some luck plus simultaneous play i'd like to add a third one i really like things that have a strong theme so there there were rules considered and ideas that didn't fit the idea of digging into a mountain that had to be that that couldn't be used. The the cave in and the uh, we didn't talk about the cave in card, but uh, if for for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the people out there that have no idea what Wizard Miners is, <laughs> uh, the deck is forty two cards uh, thick, and at, in the middle of it, right after card twenty one, is a cave in card, and that's when your that's when your mind really has the danger of caving in. Um, so, but that's thematic. You, you're, you're, you've dug halfway into a mountain now, and there's a good, you know, it's hmm. going to start to, it's going to start to uh, get unstable. So that made sense, and and, and the the fact that uh, rubble falls back onto your into your mine, and you got to clean it out. Well, there's no gems in there. You already cleaned out those rocks, so that made sense. So those kinds of, uh, of thematic things that make it really feel like, yeah, I am a wizard and I am really digging here, uh, I think add to the flavor of, uh, flavor of the game. So 
So I guess the rules evolved to be uh, a great example is um, like uh, like Justin had said, uh, you start off with your with just your wizard number and you don't have a tool yet. That used to be the way we played when you first played, uh, Jason. That 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 was the case, and yeah. and we rolled around the table until those numbers came out, and 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 it got the game off to a slow start. So the idea was, how do we have, uh, how do we get numbers into the game right away? So, okay, everybody started with some gems and we have an initial buying phase. So before the dice are ever rolled once, not only do you have your starting number, but everybody also has a tool. Um, so now numbers are right out, are there right out of the gate. So people are hitting their numbers in the first few rolls. So everybody's getting the play right away. So I get, you know, through the process of play testing, you really kind of, you know, think things started to, to evolve, uh, that, that just said, Ooh, let's try this. Ooh, let's try that. A lot of the different spells came along that way. Yeah. I could see that with spells. Cause like you said, there's a little. It's kind of like take that light, right? There's a little bit of uh, attack your uh, your other wizards, but it's not. It's never. You never feel like horrible when you get one of those on you. Like in some games, you can just feel like demoralized, like you just destroyed my entire turn. Whereas here, it's just eh, maybe a couple pieces of rubble, or you broke a tool for a round or two, mm-hmm. uh, or that kind of thing. Although I think we did, Justin, on your table, if I remember right, one of right out the door one of the players had the spell and he broke the starting tool after he had spent his money on it right uh, yep right out of the gate yeah 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 right that out of the gate tool. never saw that and, uh, and never his, saw his, it his, his his really good friend his best friend of so many years i don't know if they're best friends but the really really close friend right out of the gate first turn said yeah i'm gonna break your tool buddy <laughs> straight i mean first spell cast of the game so and he's like, this is my only tool. So uh, I think he ended up, or he didn't end up winning. He came in second place, though. So, you know, uh, what Anthony said earlier about, like, you're never really out of it, um, yeah. like, was was very true to it. But it was kind of hilarious. We all laughed at him and said, yeah, that sucks, you know. But, <laughs> yeah. I, it's amazing cool. that after seven years that I had never seen that happen. That was, was, that, it, that was first. Yeah, it happens. I think uh, <laughs> another <laughs> concept that that you have done in this game it, that you touched on just a minute ago is the cave-in, right? And this is a mechanic that I think I haven't seen a lot in other games. I know there are probably games out there that parallel this, but the cave-in is cool because, like you said, there's a 42-card deck, right? And the cave-in is how deep is it? 21 in. 21 in. So if somebody starts ramping up and they start speeding through their deck before others, they're going to hit that cave in. And it's almost a natural way of slowing someone down when they get near the mm-hmm. end to allow the other people to kind of catch up. Uh, and it's not guaranteed, right? Because you have to roll like it has yep. to, a certain roll has to pop. So there's that <laughs> luck element. But there's an additional chance that will slow down that person that's speeding up. And, and they still... At that point, you know, maybe maybe they can take a moment to upgrade some more tools or something like that to help them through that. But I've always thought that the cave-in was an exciting part of the game because you're also like, you can see the magic gather, gathering players, the other card game players are like counting their cards. All right, how close am I to that cave-in, you know, mm-hmm. as they get going. But yeah, that was and a lot it, of fun. It's also, a, it, it, it puts a spotlight on the person who's leading because everybody has it in the same place in their deck. So the first person to get to it 
is the one leading. There's no doubt about it. There's no denying it. They start getting to take that spells. They're starting to get to take that spells. Absolutely. And then once your cave-in card is out, you know from playing that your your mind is now you're you're deep enough into your mind that you could cave in on any roll of, of the dice. So so as the dice go around, we add that cave in die. And now you run the risk of your your mind caving in, which slows you down because you want to slow down and clean up. As, as you mentioned earlier, you could get the rubble out of the way, but you got to use up your turn to do that. You can't you can't mm-hmm. buy new tools or anything. Uh, so you know it, 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 the cave in really ends up being a great equalizer, at, at least to allow people to catch up and get mm-hmm. into it. I know yeah. how I played it, and it probably wasn't the the best. I was unfortunate in the beginning; I didn't get a lot of hits on my numbers, and so um, the first first two players ended up building kind of a substantial lead. But I mean, that's just the roll of the dice. But with with it though, because I knew it was at card twenty one, I wasn't doing any cleanup in the initial part. Right, like my goal was to just keep buying tools because I needed to mine faster. So, like, when I was at card 15, I was like, nope, not doing cleanup. And people were like, you're crazy, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, we'll see, you know. And then I got to 20, and I'm like, okay, it's time to clean up now, you know. And so um, ended up uh, ended up cleaning up there. But um, uh, I, I'm curious, like, did the, did the cave-in card always start at 21, or is that a rule that had evolved as well? Like, did you initially just shuffle it in, like, anywhere randomly in the deck, or... Um, yeah, like uh, you know that because I I could see the case for it to be somewhere random in the in the cave versus somewhere fixed like you know card twenty one. And, and yeah, it's interesting you asked that because it, originally there was going to we were going to split the deck into th- instead of two twenty ones and dropping it in the middle we're going to split it into three fourteens. The first 14, we know it wasn't in. And the last 14, we know it wasn't in. We were going, it was going to be random in that middle 14. So, you know, again, I, I, everything's an inspiration from another game. I'm picturing shuffling the pandemic cards in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you, you count out a certain number, you put one in there and then you shuffle up that, that small deck. Um, and, and we play tested like that for a little while. There was something about the certainty of uh, why, you know, Again, thematically, why would mine be caving in earlier than yours? You know, maybe ten cards different. Uh, there was something really nice about, hey, that person's halfway through, and and we're not, so they're in the lead. Uh, it just seemed to play, uh, play better. Uh, you 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 got the plan for your cave-in card, which again, thematically. You would know. I'm getting pretty deep into this mine. It's time to start planning for this uh, something bad to happen. I better start, slow down and clean up. So it it, it kind of through play testing, it kind of seemed like that was it, it felt right. It just felt more right. You know, you have hit on several times in the last few minutes the thematic nature of the game, right? Obviously, the the artwork in there is is pulling it. The tools, all those things. The mechanics have been a big part of you maintaining your, your theme. And that's interesting um, because we've talked with a few other game designers who have had their games bought by big publishers. And a lot of times what we, the story we hear is that the game gets reskinned, uh, like the publisher bought it for the mechanics. 
right? And they reskin the game around those mechanics. And that's one of the beauties that uh, of pub self-publishing, even though the difficulties, as you expressed earlier, the the benefits of self-publishing is you can you can maintain that theme around your game that you built, right? You can keep it exactly kind of how you want to do. So are are you, uh, you know, on your website, if you go there, it says, get on the list to find out when it's coming. So any any thoughts there on how that ball's rolling? Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm really starting to crack the code uh, for, of how to get it done. I, I, I'm settled in on... Uh, most likely, I'm 90% sure of my manufacturer. I'm 90% sure of my fulfillment company. Uh, I think I know how to get it from uh, from from the manufacturing in China to to the to uh, to the to the United States and around. Um, uh, there's been, there's a lot of good blogs out there. Uh, Jamie Stonemeyer's got a tremendous blog on his on Stonemeyer Games. A lot of, a lot of help out there for first time publishers. Uh, a lot of good places to go and get advice, and, uh, and and talking to people at conventions. So yes, I I feel that uh, I was I was hoping to target quarter four of 2023, but it's most likely going to be quarter one of 2024. But I really feel that um, a a good social media push in the next few months and um, and a and a crowdfunding in early 2024 uh, could have us playing it in uh, uh, at Gen Con. Well, we're definitely playing it at Gen Con. It's only a question <laughs> of is there is there one copy or a thousand copies available? Right. <laughs> Hey, I had a, I have a, uh, I have a great story about one copy because you guys have one of two copies that actually exist out in the world. Um, the second copy uh, last it was last Gen Con, not not uh, 2023, but 2022. A family came uh, to play: a mom, dad, uh, daughter, and son. The daughter and son were dressed up as Power Rangers. And the daughter was probably 11, I would guess. And the son was six or seven. So he needed a lot of help with the game. But the, the girl was a natural gamer. She picked up the rules. Incredible. I mean, this is, this girl, is, she, may, she might not even been 11. She was, uh, it, within, within three or four turns, she was turning over the turn marker and saying, I'm not digging. And... And she flipped over the turn marker and her father reached over and turned it back over. And he said, no, you got to keep it on this side. And she said, no, 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 I'm not digging because I'm going to clean up twice. And <laughs> I'm just like, okay, that's impressive. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was Thursday of Gen Con. They were, they were staying for, for, for the four days. And when I got, when we got, when Gen Con was over, the mother had reached out to me via email and said, um, where can I buy this? She she didn't stop talking. We played all weekend, and she never stopped talking about Wizard wow. Myers. So I'm pulling on my heartstrings, right? So I'm saying, I'm sorry. It really doesn't exist yet. The only games I got are the ones I bring to Gen Con. And she, and she said, is there any way, is there any way I, want, I, I, I wanted to give it to her for Christmas? It would be such a surprise. So I said, listen, I get, I, I'll be honest with you. I get a made-it game crafter. 
I've got an extra box and an extra set of rules lying around here somewhere. I'll order the cards from Game Crafter. If you just want to pay me for whatever it costs me for the cards, I'll box it all up. You know, I got I got a million gems from Amazon. I got, you know, I got all those components, dice laying around. I said, I'll just charge you for the cards. I'll throw it all in a box and, I, and I'll get it to you. She said, oh, my God, that would be fantastic. Please, please do that. So um, I order it from Game Crafter. It comes in. I package it all up and I reach out to mom and I say, you know, send me your mailing address. Uh, it, it, it'll be in the mail today. And she she emails me back. She says, this is a Christmas miracle. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Needless to say, I felt like, all right, I was Santa Claus, uh, a, a game designer and Santa Claus all rolled up into one. That, yeah. was, that, was, that was a lot of fun. I'd award my wizard hat to the UPS store. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That's now, awesome. One of the, you know, I, I'm sure that as you're going through this, you know, all the production logistics and everything like that, you've got to make some tough decisions about like, you know, like what kind of cards do we need? What kind of components are, are going to be in there? Are there going to be cardboard components or actual plastic or metal components? Or, you know, like what are the, I, you, you talked about how you got a whole bunch of gems off of Amazon, but you know, you can't do that for, you know, a mass production type of thing. And so, um, what do you think the final product is going to look like in terms of cards and components and things like that? Uh, and I, and I know that you're probably not hundred percent there, but just kind of gauging where you're at right now. No, that's, that's a great, that's a great question because you know, you, you, you concentrate so much on the gameplay, uh, but we're all gamers. We know what we look at when we see a game, we, we, <laughs> we like cool components, right? Otherwise you guys wouldn't spend uh, hours a day, with the, with the painting that you're that you do right 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 cool components just make a game more fun to just look at and to hold so so some of the things that i want to do is i want to have something other than the cardboard chit the big card uh, square chit for the turn marker i was mm -hmm. thinking maybe a metal coin would be cool um something a little more substantial to for that turn marker maybe something that uh that you, you can put the dice in and, and, and move it to the next player, you know, as we you, you turn marker and dice move, move along. Uh, player mats seem like this game was screams out for player mats. I mean, you look at the, t mm -hmm. you guys have played a couple of times, so you might not notice it as much, but the table's a mess. Once the game is most of the way in, there's cards yeah. everywhere. <laughs> right? Uh, so, uh, 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 player mats, I think, are, are, are definitely something I want to include. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be add-ons or stretch goals or basic game and deluxe game. Um, but the Dynamite, uh, you saw the Dynamite uh, this year. I, I, we didn't mention Dynamite to, to, your, to your listeners, but that's a way to make cave-ins more more deadly so you, you sneak dynamite into your opponent's caves and when they when they have a potential for caving in uh there could be a disastrous cave in because there's dynamite waiting there but the dynamite used to be cardboard chits but now they're they're wooden uh dynamite looking dowels uh mm -hmm. meeples dynamite meeples maybe you want to call them um right <laughs> So, so uh, the cards I think are the cards. They're going to be good quality cards, but that—that's the art. That's the size of them. Uh, the, that's the 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 bulk of the game is is, is card driven. 
Uh, the dice, obviously the cave-in die is going to be a custom die. So it's not just a decal slapped on, on, a, on, a, on a single side. So, so those kinds of upgrades um, are definitely in the works. Uh, there, is, there is one, and I'll throw this out there to see what your reaction is. Um, I, I, I was thinking about a foldable, um, oh my goodness, I have my ridiculously poorly created paper one. But I was thinking about, I don't know if you're going to be able to see this, but I was thinking about a foldable treasure chest. To put the gems in? To put your put, put your gems in so that they're not, you don't just have a pile in front of you. Oh, interesting. Ah. All right. Now, this is pretty sad because it's just printed out on my, on my paper printer. But you get the idea if this were more substantial, that everybody would have their little treasure chest in front of them. And when they collect gems, they just drop them in there. Hmm. So interesting yeah keep neaten them up a little bit so it's those kinds of things that i think have some i'm sure there's a gamer term for it but i haven't published a game yet so i don't know it but curb appeal if you were a real estate agent sure. you know, sure. a box appeal or a you know, component mm -hmm. appeal yeah uh that i i I'm, I'm trying to put a lot of thought into it and the crazy thing is is that the you know i immediately the advice that i get um comes from places that I never would have thought to ask. So I'm glad they said it. But my fulfillment guy says to me, well, metal coin, you know, be careful. We got to keep way in the game because if you go over this weight, you're caught, mm -hmm. you're showing. And then player mats, well, you got to make sure you design them to fit in the box and the box has to stay these yep. dimensions. Don't go over these dimensions because you're going yeah. to double your shipping costs because it's not a standard box anymore. Yeah. So, you know, my, my, you know, my, my head's exploding uh, with, with, okay, I got it. It seems like everything works backwards from the box size. <laughs> uh, That's you know, interesting. And, and that, you know, so mm. that was something I hadn't, I, I didn't even, I didn't even think about. I was designing the player mat so that the cards fit nicely on it. But in, mm -hmm. in truth, I've got to make sure the player mat fits in the box and then design it in such a way so that it accommodates the cards instead of the other way around. So it's funny you say that because, you know, on our last day of Gen Con, we played a game called Planetfall. Um, it had just come out and um, it was a really fun game and they were selling mats with it, right? Player Like they had like a player mat so you could get and also a big mat, right? That you could play off of. And um, I was talking about it with my friends that were there. And I said, like, do you think that those mats are worth it? And I said, I don't think so. I think the game played just fine without it, um, just because of, like, where you ended up putting your cards and compared to your cardboard console that you had, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, and uh, they said, you know, the biggest uh, determining factor on whether or not I end up getting mats is can it fit in the box? Like when it's, when it's done, you know, because a lot of times you'll get these big old mats and you can't put it in the box. And so you just have your game and then a mat sitting out there too, you know, and it ends up cluttering up shelves and, mm -hmm. you know, your games don't fit as nicely. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you're like, where did that other mat go? Where did I put it? That type of thing. And so, um, especially like the little neoprene ones, right? Like you think, Oh, these are really great. Like they lay out so nicely. They never get creased. They never get bent. They never, you know, all this stuff. But then it's like, well, where are you going to put it? Cause it doesn't fit inside this, the, the, the game box. that's this big. Do you know what I mean? Because yes. the mat is this big now, you know? And so, 
Um, yeah, all these things to think about that I I don't envy you on them, but <laughs> it's also um, kind of a passion project too, right? So like you you get to try to solve problems for something that you love, which makes it a little bit easier to to try to work through. You it know? does, and some of the stuff is really interesting to learn. Some mm-hmm. some of it is it hurts my head, but some of it is is, is yeah. really it's interesting to to learn the whole process. So you know, it, it's it's been a journey. I'm I'm excited about the idea that if I can just get over the hump with Wizard Miners and learn everything, how much fun will it be to make the second game? There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I I hear that a lot from game designers, which was the first game is absolutely the hardest. And just for all the things that you have talked about, right? Like the playtesting kind of like, you know, it, the problem I, I think a lot of first time game designers have is they say like, I've got this idea for the game in my brain and it may not be the best game. And they're maybe attached to some of, some of the rules or mechanics that they really want in there. Um, but that people are saying like, ah, that didn't really work for me. You know, um, you know, like using the concept of like putting that card in the middle of 14, right? Like maybe like, you know, if, if sometimes as game designers, you get so attached to that that you're like, no, it has to be in there without realizing that like, you know, adjusting things can make it a mm-hmm. little bit, um, make it a better game and not totally compromise your vision of what this game should be. Right. And mm-hmm. so um, they work through those types of things. They work through all the publishing type stuff. And then they get done. They're like, oh, okay, I can do this, right? And that confidence definitely helps them on the next one and, and moving forward. So, um, yeah, very good. I, I love, uh, Anthony, how family-friendly this game is. I know I didn't play it with my kids. I played it with my friends. But, I mean, I could absolutely sit down and play this game. And in one round, I mean, one turn, not even just a round, right? Like one turn, everybody knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like it's really not. Um, I, I think giving it a 2.4 is probably um, overcomplicating this game, actually. You know, and and this game is great in its simplicity, right? And that's what that that is what makes yeah. it, in, in my opinion, a great game because it is simple. It is fun. It offers the strategy to make choices, but it's not so complicated that it would turn um, people off of it that don't want to play a complicated game. Right. And so um, that's what I think uh, appeals to so many people that have really enjoyed this game that, uh, that love it already. Right. Uh, from having played it at Gen Con. So yeah. I would, I would give it a below, maybe like, maybe like a, a round or two for, for complexity, but uh, like, you know, a 7.8, 8.5 for enjoyment, right? Like high up there for that. I'll take that. Like that you know? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> that's from, from, and you guys like some serious games too. So that, that, that that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Cause we had, um, Allie, um, she's, uh, on Instagram as the, uh, the gamer girl, and mm-hmm. she's been on our shows a couple of times talking about board games. And, you know, she she runs the gamut. She'll play some really complicated ones and then some really easy ones. And um, it's funny to hear her talk about it. She's like, it's a game. I'll play it. And, um, you know, some of her favorite games are the super simple ones because they're simple, easy mechanics that allow mm-hmm. the gameplay to happen. Yep. Right. Um you get into a game like, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I love games like this, but you play a game like Axis and Allies with your friends, that's not a simultaneous play game. That's a game where you can go get pizza and come back <laughs> and it's still not your turn, you know? And uh, But I, I mean, I still love it, you know? Um, but that's not for everybody. And for my family, 
like axes and allies is not for them right like a game like wizard miners is totally for them because everybody's engaged yep. everybody yep. gets to have fun you can play this game um you know i mean we sat down for the two hour block and i think we ended up playing it in about an hour ish mm-hmm. probably yeah. about where we ended up you know yeah. it, it- Runs pretty runs pretty regular seventy five minutes, and that's with teaching the rules. So I, my my yeah. games usually you know a Gen Con run between an hour fifteen hour and a half, but that's with it with you know first time play. So second yeah. time play out, you guys are running an hour, maybe an hour ten. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and that's like for a busy family with with kids all over the place and youth that don't have the attention span that they used to um you know like that is a great game for them so i know i'm excited to get it on the table we're excited for you to put it out on kickstarter um you said that hopefully by the end of the year you might have it out i think that by the end of the year if i'm if i'm shooting for a a crowdfunding a kickstarter date it's most likely going to be first quarter of 2024 okay maybe okay mid to late maybe mid to late january that gives me a few more months to ramp up uh getting uh, getting getting a following that knows it's out there. Yep. Uh, yeah. And uh, and so so we can hit the ground running. I just yeah, I'm sure everybody uh, a single pu- single game publisher is not thinking about uh, you know uh, someday having their own warehouse or you know being being Asmodee Games or something. I just want people to play the game. You know, it, yeah. it, I get so much enjoyment at Gen Con watching people have fun playing the game that the thought of you know a few hundred people backing it on Kickstarter and, and it being on their table uh, you know a few months later just uh, it, that's the coolest thing. And and launching a Kickstarter in December is a terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> you Sounds know, like it. yes. Yeah, the, the problem is everybody's spending money on you know actual games that they can put under the tree and not yeah. you know not a Kickstarter that'll yeah. be fulfilled in eight months to a year. You know, um, yeah. So, but if you do it in January, idea. oh sorry, Jason. But if you do it in if yeah. you do it in January, um, maybe you could have it to them in December as a Christmas present, right? Like that absolutely, would be, that'd be yeah. some great timing. Yep, quarter. I think first quarter. Yeah, trying to hit last quarter is going to be tough because it, it's got to be under the tree. It's got to be in my hands. But uh, first quarter of the next year, then I'm rebaselining. You know, the holidays are behind you, and you're ready to kind of get back into the swing of seeing what you can fund and move forward with. Yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. That's uh, and it also buys me buys me another month or six or six weeks to to, to prep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Right. That's right. Well, Anthony, we we loved having you on the show. We are obviously big fans, as you can tell by the hat, of Wizard Miners. I'm sure next year at Gen Con, you know, we're going to try to find some time to sit down and, and, and play it some more. But um, we uh, we hope to see before next Gen Con, obviously, this come out on Kickstarter because that means all things are going well for you. Uh, you know, things are coming up roses. And, uh, you know, we... Uh, we wish you the best as you do this and, and please let us know so that we can put it out to our beyonders out there that, um, that this is coming out and uh, that they should all get it for them and their families as well. So um, we uh, thank you so much for, for coming on our show. I really appreciate you guys. I appreciate the attention you've given to a, uh, 
to a wannabe uh, indie publisher, and uh, I, I really enjoy the podcast. I know anybody who's listening already enjoys the podcast, but uh, yeah, you guys have just a wide variety of, of guests in there. I love hearing about things that I don't necessarily get exposed to, like Pirate Board was a very interesting uh, listen, uh, and Gamer Girl was just a couple, a couple episodes ago, like three episodes ago. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it's very enjoyable to, to to be exposed to so many other types of games. So I. I appreciate what you guys do. Thanks. Well, we appreciate, yeah, we, we appreciate you saying those kind words to us. And, you know, sometimes we say these things and it feels like our, um, our episodes just go out into the ether and, and it's great yeah. to know that people are listening and that they are finding these topics as interesting as we do. Right. So um, to our listeners out there, please go visit Anthony's website, petrogaminggroup.com. The main reason you want to do that is on their site there is a way to get onto their um mailing list to let you know when the kickstarter goes live so petrogaminggroup.com scroll down you'll see wizard miners is coming click the button to get on the mailing list and um, that way you can do that we will put a link in the description um of this podcast episode and and youtube uh video so that you can just click it there if you need to 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 get to the website but um we wish everybody the best. Anthony, we wish you the best. And um, we'll see everybody at the tables. So have a great night, everyone. See ya. Thanks, guys. See you, everybody.